0: Hey everybody, this is producer Steve Thomason welcoming y'all back for season two of The Crossing. At the time of this recording, we didn't realize that it would be our last podcast from the world-famous Doc Hawkum building. That's right, they've torn that legendary building down, but you guys all know that. So, since then, we've been moving into our new studio. More on that in the next show, but for now, Here's the last ever episode from the world-famous Doc Hawkum building as Chris and Coal Mountain Cal interview Paul Martin. Now, who's that, you ask? Well, come on in and sit a spell and lend us your ear. Welcome back to The Crossing.
1: And broadcasting once again from high top, the palatial Doc Hawkum building in downtown Coal Mountain. This is Coal Mountain Cal, along with my partner in crime, brother Chris Cheeto Cheatham, here for another episode of The Crossing, where the music meets memories. And Chris, it's cold as well diggers out there tonight. Well,
2: whenever I, we rolled up in here, it was 34 degrees. And um, as you know, I'm battling with a cold right now. Yeah, you're sounding terrible, so, so I, I will to I, 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 uh, I really should be doing some smooth jazz um, radio on like a call-in show right now, you know. Uh, we're going to take it right now to Chick Corea. Um so <laughs> But we ain't. We ain't. We're going to soldier right through this. Uh, yeah, we're going to do it. We're lucky tonight. Yes, we are. I'm telling you, this, this is the luckiest we've been so far.
1: Yeah, I've looked forward to it all day
2: long. Normally, we have guests in the studio with us,
1: but tonight, uh, me and Chris have climbed the Oliver Douglas <laughs> Green Acres telephone pole up onto the top of the Doc Hawken building, and we have patched in uh, on the phone line a new friend of the show. Friend that lots of folks know him. That's right. And we're bringing him in tonight. He is brother Paul Martin of Rockland Road, better known as to a lot of you around here, Apostle Paul. That's right. In his days, and he has played with. Uh, all kinds of folks, Chris from. We're going to get into that. Uh, yeah. Billy Joe Royal, uh, Kathy Matea, Exile, Marty Stewart. Got his own thing going now. We're going to bring to the main stage Brother Paul Martin. Paul, how are you tonight, buddy?
3: I, I'm just like you guys, trying to stay warm.
1: What's the temperature and up in Hendersonville just, tonight?
3: I, I think. It, well, I just checked a while ago. It was about 34 here. Yeah. It's amazing. Just just about a month ago, we played a in a rock and roll, which is my family. We played a thing here in Nashville. It was like a lunchtime concert series where we did like an acoustic set downtown Nashville at Fifth Third Bank. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say Fifth Third Bank if I'm advertising, but maybe they loan us money. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Interest free. But anyway, when we got done playing. We did like from twelve to one fifteen. As we were getting done, I have this little uh, thermometer thing. That, you know, you shoot the gun at the at the ground or whatever, and it was like a hundred degrees, down. it was really, really like 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 August hot, you know. Yeah. And when we got done, Jamie almost passed out. It was so hot. And here, less you know, about a month later, almost to the day. And it's like cold. Like you said, it's cold. I've heard one of my favorite sayings is that it's colder than an ex-wife's heart.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's cold. That's cold right there. Uh, That's That's, cold. cold. (laughs) I'm just saying that's cold. That's all. Uh,
1: (laughs) Folks, this man has a musical legacy and story behind him that we'll never touch in this probably 45 minutes to an hour episode that we're going to do, but we're going to try our best, and uh, we're just going to jump right into it. Paul, you were born in Kentucky.
3: Yeah, I was born... Uh, up in Central Kentucky, right around Lexington, a little town called Winchester. And um, you know, my mom and dad, when they got married in the fifties, Dad had a little country band called the Powell County Playboys, and my mom had a gospel trio with her two brothers. Well, she had more than two brothers, but she, two of her brothers they had a and they both had a radio show at the same little station in my hometown. That's how they met. But, you know, when they got married in nineteen fifty eight, the idea of doing music for a living was was you know that's that's not respectable living. You know, get a real job. You know, unheard of. Oh, yeah and so what well, you and the thing is at that time I've, I know quite I've gotten to know quite a few old country artists and musicians here in town that tell me stories from that about that era where I guess my mom and dad probably did the right thing you know they they um, they definitely had you know they dad took an office job mom was a housewife but they still continued to play locally and dad had a little, started a recording studio in our house when I was about two years old and then uh, we built the house when I was about Five or six, we built a house with a basement. Put the studio there, and then you know I started out as their drummer, playing in their band.
2: Well, that definitely answers my first question I was going to ask you. You know, how you got your, how you how you get the fire to uh, to want to do music? And had and no, no choice. It started right at the house.
3: Yeah, I, it's funny because I, I really, yeah, when I was a little boy, I wanted to be a drummer, and the two drummers I, I wanted to be like was Willie Cantu, who played for the Buck Owens band, uh-huh. the Buckaroos. And I wanted to be Ringo Star. I don't know why, but that always just the drummer just thing. That was the thing I wanted to be at first, you know. And I tell <laughs> everybody in the studio. Yeah.
1: I tell everybody I, oh, go ahead. I play drums as well. And my
2: my idol back in the day was Ronnie Tut with the Elvis T C B oh, band. Yeah. Loved his stuff. Meanwhile I don't and, play drums and my idol was Peter Chris. <laughs> so that's maybe <laughs> well, that, that's why I never got <laughs> Maybe that's why I well, never got fun, into drums.
3: Well, by the, time, by the time KISS came along, um, I always wanted to be more of a guitar player. So Ace Frehley was the one that spoke to me in KISS. Oh, yeah. You know that? Oh yeah. And, but my dad, like I said, my dad had all these you know gospel groups and bluegrass groups, country groups. Anything you'd think, we, we'd come to the studio. And, and we would end up, you know, I'd play the... I, had, I started out, like I said, as a drummer. But we had a piano in the studio. And then I started playing piano and then bass and guitar. And my uncle was our steel guitar player. So he would leave his steel there. So I figured out how to play some steel. And by the time I was like 12 or 13, I started playing pretty much all the instruments on the, the clients would come in to record, but I, I soon figured out the reason dad did that, he wasn't paying
2: me. You were cheap, cheap labor.
3: I guess you'd call it, uh, but it, the experience was great because, you know, and I tell my, you know, the, the guys here in town that I've gotten to know that play sessions, I said, when I was a little boy, I just assumed everybody in Nashville was such a monster player that they t- they all got it in one take. So that's what I strive for. And. You know, I didn't realize that you got more shots than one at it. And the only good thing, I guess, about that was it makes me really concentrate when I'm playing the first time. But then I also come away going, man, I just really stink because I can't get it in one take,
2: you know. <laughs> well, I mean, you, it sounds like you had access to a lot of different instruments. And you said that uh, Ace Frehley um, turns you on the guitar. So what was the first song you learned on guitar? Uh, Christine, 16, uh, The Deuce. What, what's, what's our song? What was the first song you learned?
3: The first song, believe it or not now, but just before Kiss, the first guitar solo I ever learned was by Grand Funk Railroad. It's called Walk Like a Man.
2: Mm-hmm. I loved
3: I loved Mark Farner and Gar- Grand Funk. And so I listened to those guys first. And then my cousin lived in Detroit. He brought down the first live album of Kiss, you know. Uh-huh. And when I heard that, it was like, oh, wow. Yep. Changes you know, taking
2: place. And, yep. That's the yeah. best. So
3: Deuce, all those songs, yeah, Strutter, um, I've got a recording of my first rock band in 1978 at my dad's studio, and I was singing Strutter and playing guitar. The best part, my voice hadn't changed yet, so I sound like this little bitty kid
2: singing. <laughs> what, what did Dad think when you rolled up in there playing some Kiss tunes? You know,
3: my dad was pretty open-minded. When we had, we had an eight-track tape player in our car, and we listened to everything from bluegrass, like you know Jim and Jesse or something like that, to Seals and Croft. Yeah, and Led Zeppelin, Steppenwolf. I mean, Dad, Dad listened to everything. He didn't really. Uh, sometimes he go, "That's just noise."
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Did you? Uh, you remember that back in the days when you had the eight track and you wanted to find your favorite song and you'd have to time it where you like. Oh. Right, we're on program two. Here it comes. As soon as it changes, I'm going back to one.
3: <laughs> you remember the the home units that they had? We had one. See, we just had one in our car, and. Uh, so you're exactly right. You had to wait. Yeah. But now the home unit some people had back then had a fast forward. It didn't. Ro- it was pretty slow, but mm-hmm. you could at least go forward.
1: That least, was the second know. stage of technology with all that stuff. When you go
2: yeah. that when you <laughs> when you press that button to go that other track, it just seemed like it was just abrasive. Now, I mean, in comparison, just boom.
3: or you really felt robbed. Remember the remember the eight tracks when you would when you play an eight track right in the middle of the song, it fades out and jumps to the next track. Why did they do that? <laughs>
4: Well, is that, I guess because you only yeah. had so many
3: minutes yeah. per per, per track, track, and they didn't, you know, they didn't tell you that. Time used it to drive or me crazy. <laughs> or the moment of silence. Remember the fourth track? If mm-hmm. if there was like, you know, the the album's done, but there's like two minutes of silence before it clicks back.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no well, that, all that explains why you don't find any uh, old music stores that sell in eight tracks. It's all vinyl. No one's gonna go back yeah. and listen to eight track. Eight track. That ain't coming that. back, baby.
3: Well, I mean, it forced you to list the whole record, I guess, but yeah. you know.
1: <laughs> so you got your oh, Chris always asks the first song you learn. People learn how to play when we have our guests. I, I like to ask the uh, the band name of the first
3: band you were in. Well, uh, the first group of my you know, like, like I say, mom and dad's group is called the Drifters. Drifters. <laughs> well, look at that, Bill, Bill and Texas Martin and the Drifters. You know, yeah. and uh, but that then my first rock band. Uh, That was called Ambush.
1: Oh, now we're talking. (laughs) Got some Ambush action And then we changed our
3: name to Jack and Irons. (laughs) And then we were doing... At that point, we were doing more like things like Zeppelin and Iron Maiden and Judas Priest.
1: One of our last guests was a musician. Their band, first band name was Fractal Curve. (laughs) (laughs) And we we still don't know what that means, but it was cool.
0: (laughs)
2: Well, so music, music, I guess it all started at a very early age and it carried yourself right into high school, and I guess right out of high school, was there ever any thoughts about post-high school education, or are you just stuck with the music and kept rocking?
3: You know, the funny part was my dad, when I got into high school, he could sense that the bug had bitten me, and he was trying his best to discourage me from doing music. Go to law school, son, and of course, what I ended up doing is I ended up going to um, college. I went one year as a music major, and I realized I'm not going to be a music teacher. I don't have that. That's something I don't seem to have.
2: And where'd you go to school? So I, where'd you, where'd you go? I went where'd...
3: to Eastern Kentucky university, which right. I actually commuted. It was about 15 miles from my house. And I, I went as a music major one year, trans changed my major to communication electronics. And you know, what's funny after all these years, I mean, I, I got out of college in like 1985, 86, right in that era. And, uh, It took me till about four years ago to finally use what I'd studied in college. Um, (laughs) We have all the in-ear technology and the wireless mics and all that stuff on the show. (laughs) And when we started doing this with our family, all these years I've been on the road, I never had to do anything but just show up, get off the bus, pick my instrument up and play a show. When we started this with our family, I had to um, immediately teach my boys that you know, you we're gonna have to set this gear up. We got to unload the trailer. I mean, I went back to like it was when I was in high school, my first rock bands, and it was uh, it was frightening, you know, <laughs> because I'm going. I told my oldest son, "It's like I'm 18 years old again," and but there's one small problem. I'm not 18 years old, <laughs> but I had to learn all the uh, frequencies and all that stuff, and and all the wireless mics and wireless senders have to all work on the you know at the same time, and whoo.
1: Exactly. <laughs> How did we get from Kentucky to uh, Tennessee? Tell me about your first big break in the music business.
3: You know what's funny is that when I was um, in 1988, after I got out of college, I played around Lexington and bars and stuff there and different bands. And um, but when I was actually playing, you'll love this. One night I was just by chance I was playing keyboards and guitar with an Elvis impersonator. He was he was from Hawaii. <laughs> a polynesian elvis and polynesian elvis <laughs> and we were opening for billy joe royal and at, at a club up in lexington and the um while we played our set the uh, road manager came up to me at the end of the set and he goes man he goes we really like your keyword plan uh we're looking for a keyword player and he gave me his card and so that's i called him and and you know ended up going to work for billy which was so much fun because, you know, if you you guys he's a he's a Georgia boy and, and Yeah, he's from Georgia. He um he was so much fun to hang out with. He told some great old stories and, and that was what was so much fun about it for me was because of the stories but uh and I loved, you know, the songs he had, you know, getting to do like I Knew You When, Down the Boondocks, you know. And he Casey would do Cherry Hill Park, but uh that was kind of a his last hit, I guess, in the pop world and then he had all the country hits in the eighties but But um i would come to nashville you know to get on the bus from lexington and and uh, you know i was there for about a year and then i was i can remember this so uh, so it's like already 30 some years ago but i was in texas with billy and i was in my hotel room one day and my phone rings and it's a guy named clarence spaulding and at the time clarence was exile's road manager but what was funny? Um, Clarence today is one of the biggest managers in Nashville. He manages Jason Aldean, Darius Rucker, Rascal Flatts, Reba, Terry Clark. I mean, you know, Brooks and Dunn. Um, but at the time he was the road manager, and he called me and he said, "Paul, you've been some. Your name's been thrown into the hat for possibly replacing one of the guys leaving Exile, and uh, would you be interested?" And I, and, I, and I said, "Well, of course I would." So. Um, I sent him like a little tape of some stuff I didn't, you know quite cut at my dad's studio And then met with him one day in the office because they were still up in lexington at the time And then uh, they said hey, we're gonna have auditions And we'll let you know and so Maybe like two weeks passed and I get a call one sunday night From the uh, one of the guys in the band he said hey paul Can you come to nashville tomorrow to the sound shop about three o'clock and I said yeah, I, I can So he said okay so I, I get in the car and drive to Nashville the next day thinking I'm, it's, my audition time is 3 o'clock at Sound Shop, you know, and um, I walk in. They're in there cutting some demos, and, you know, I didn't see anybody else but just the guys and the engineer, and so they took a little break from fixing, they were doing an overdub, somebody was fixing a part or something, and they said, hey, let's go out here real quick, Paul, and one of the guys got acoustic out, and we sang like a couple of hits, and I sang the part that I needed to learn, and they looked at me and said, oh well what are you doing for the rest of your life <laughs> and I said well I don't know what do you, you guys got in mind they, they said well Paul we'll just be honest with you after we heard your tape and we met with you we just felt like there was no other choice and you know we'd like for you to become a part of the band if you know if you're interested so
2: did you have the hair for it to play in exile at that time <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I when I look back on Exile back during that time, because they used to come to Lanierland all the time, and Cal, yeah. was, te- Cal was telling me that you had you'd played at Lanierland with Exile before, and all I remember yeah. was long hair, a lot a lot of pert, a lot of pert was used during those years. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, what's funny
3: is, in that point in time you probably use a whole bottle of daggum hairspray. (laughs) (laughs) It's a wonder I have hair at this point in my life. (laughs) Well, it was the 80s, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, anybody that had hair that it's, we can look at it now and laugh at it. (laughs) But, you know, I guess at that time, you don't really, you don't really think of it that way. You know, it's a, you know, you look back 10 or 15 years and you go, what were we thinking (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, so were you thinking you were gonna juggle the gigs between uh Billy Joe Royal and Exile or you was getting ready to kinda of cut bait or how did that how did that kinda of bleed into uh Exile? Two total different
3: kind oh, of bands, and, you, know, you know what I mean? And I was I mean, playing keyboards for Billy and when I came to Exile I was I came to be a guitar player again. And also, you know what's interesting. Uh, one of the singers I replaced, but the other lead singer, within about four months after I joined, he he quit too, and um, so all of a sudden, you know, like I said, I I was hurled into this position of like you're going to be the lead singer, and it was bizarre because I got to tell you, uh, I was a singer, but I was not the most confident singer. I was the guy that was always in the bands that did the singing for the singer. You know, if he needed a break, I was the guy that, you know. That was kind of how I looked at myself. Yeah, and and when my dad had a studio built out behind our house, and I sang all the time, but when I would do my vocals, I'd make sure it was late at night. I'd lock the studio door and do it by myself with the lights turned down. You know,
2: (laughs) kind of like singing in the shower.
3: Yeah, it really was. I mean, no kidding. It's it's that thing where I was so self conscious. I thought when I was a little, when I was like about fourteen or fifteen, in my first rock band, my voice hadn't changed. And one time, you know, several people would come see our band, and they'd always go, man, you guys really sound good, but you need a singer. <laughs> so I took that very personally, like, well, I guess I must really stink, you know.
1: <laughs> I, I was telling Chris today, I said, I don't know who, who made that decision or who, how they found him, but it's like finding the guy that replaced uh, Steve... Uh, in Journey, <laughs> about in Journey. Oh, Perry, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah, they couldn't have got a better but, voice that would have matched uh, JP Pennington than yours.
3: I don't, I, think. and you, yes, and I think the thing that's really interesting about that, we're all kind of from the same area. The thing about the exile that I found so funny right off the bat, I mean, I knew all the guys in the band, and, and I'd even done some sessions at my dad's with JP and and things like that. What I found it so fascinating was, you know, we all had so many people in common. I felt like I'd been I'd already been in the band for twenty years when I joined.
1: <laughs> yeah, just like a, putting on a old pair of shoes yeah. or something. Now did you get any uh 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 reaction from the the fans in like a negative way that you know once you replace surprisingly
3: no. Do you know that what I what I came to understand, Exile was kind of a faceless band. They got Back a revolving door. Of There's Alabama, been a lot of members you thought of Randy Owen, you thought of Highway One O one, you thought of Paulie Carlson or you know say Desert Rose band, you thought of probably Chris Hillman. Mm-hmm. And you know, just different groups. And exile was there. Was always several singers, you know, in the band. Anyway, JP had done the bulk of the singing in the country hits, but Les was, you know, also singer. And and you know, Sunny had even sung some of the pop days. But um, it just didn't seem to bother anybody. I mean, the people who are real long hardcore fans. I know the first show we did without JP, nobody knew he was gone. And we, I can remember, we were playing in somewhere in Illinois. Uh, what was that at? Um, Taylor, Illinois. I remember it like it was, you know. And I remember we opened the first song, and as we were playing the song, there were like three or four people that were applauding as we were coming out on stage. And when when I started singing, they just kind of stopped and had this look like, you could tell they were going, wait a minute, somebody's not here. What is going on here?
1: (laughs) JP's hair is all screwed (laughs) up. He let it grow out. What's up with that? Got
3: a permanent. (laughs) (laughs) But that was pretty much the only time we ever had much... uh, push back on that you know and you it sta- wasn't really much at all yeah
1: that, you stayed with them how many years it was it uh 88 to
3: 90 94 wow and so it's you know years. what was interesting we we just decided at at the start at the end of 93 we basically thought well we're going to stay out here and do 150 shows a year and a couple of guys had families they really want to spend time with their families at that point because they were when i joined in 88 i was 25 and everybody else was like 40
1: yeah you were just and, a baby
3: the one, like the drummer, C wanted to be home. He had two daughters that were pretty young, and you know, he really wanted to be with them. And so everybody just kind of decided, let's let's finish up. And you know, we actually ended up holding the name. And about two years later, we went back to JPN and Les and said, hey guys, why don't you go out and do Exile? Well, you know, rent the name from us, kind of like a little lease, kind of a you know licensing kind of thing. And they started doing that. Did it for a number of years, and then about 2008. There was a fundraiser up in Lexington for a guy that used to work for the band many years ago, even before I was there. was in bad health, and they did a little get-together to help raise money. So the guys that had been there in the 80s prior to my joining went up and did that, and they kind of were able to put away some old hurts. Right. And then they started touring again. That that lineup started touring again, and they've been doing that since like 2008. And in fact, just back July 4th, Rockland Road, we did a show with them up in uh, Ripley, West Virginia. It was a lot of fun. You know, because cause I'm, I'm still involved with the band. They did a Greatest Hits project last year that I played some dobro and acoustic and electric guitar, steel guitar, sang some harmony parts. And then this year, I did a, they put out a project just here about a month or so ago called The Garage Tapes, and it's like 30 old demos from... Years gone by of a lot, you know, from their pop, mostly from their pop years, a few co- the country songs, and I, I went and remastered it in my studio for them, and you know, so they could all kind of sound the same as close as we get them, and they did like a two CD release on that. So, it, but yeah, it's kind of like the the Hotel California song, you know. You can check any anytime you like. Just can you, know, leave. you can never leave. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> now they st- do they, I know they were having like a reunion, all their members would get together, past and present. Do they still do that?
3: You know what? We haven't done that in a while. Uh, back when I was still in 93, that was the 30th anniversary of the the band starting. Wow. And uh, we did a thing up in Kentucky where uh, it was at the Kentucky Horse Park. I've actually got the video footage of that, and we got everybody up. We did Kiss You All Over together, and, and I think we did Super Love and... Um, It was just a lot, a lot of fun because, you know, and there was a professor from Eastern Kentucky University that wrote a book on the band. You can get it on, like, Amazon. It's called, uh, gosh, I I think it's called A Band in Transition or something like that. I I can't remember the title of it all of a sudden. But uh, I wrote one Ford and the drummer, the original drummer, who actually was his group, Matt Davenport, uh, we wrote the Fords and... But the it, I learned a lot about the band that I didn't know from all the years prior to me being in the band. And then the other thing that was needed, because of that book, I've become very close with a lot of the former members that were, you know, long gone by the time I came in. You know, anytime we play in the Kentucky area, a lot of those guys will show up in support of us, you know.
2: Well, in 88, 88 to 94, what an amazing time to be in a, in a country band slash pop, you know, time. I mean, country really getting a real shot in the ass during that time, you know.
3: Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, it, I remember what's funny how much country's changed since I was in exile when we were doing the records with Arista when I was in the band. Tim Dubois, who we I, Tim's an amazing man. He's a he he was a song man. he wrote hit songs. He worked for the Federal Reserve, taught accounting at, at Vanderbilt at one time. Then he was the head of Arista Records for many years. And but Tim was a, a a great guy, but every time my guitar sound got anywhere near a little too rocky, he'd go, that's maybe a little too aggressive, Paul. <laughs> and I mean, what's funny, I listen to those records now, and I'm going, they don't, they're they not aggressive at all. It's like, it's, it's like not, a wall of marshals in a country, man.
1: Yeah, not by today's standards. That's exactly
2: right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I guess I guess being in exile got you a lot of exposure to or, or got the industry even more exposed to Paul Martin. And that's how you end. I mean, you end up leaving them. You said like in '94. Who's yeah. next? Who's next on the on the well, on the agenda? The funny
3: part. The the next move for me was I guess it's time for my solo career. So I began to start. I got a publishing deal and went into steel cut. It, I went a couple of different times in the steel and cut some project. Couple couple of different solo projects trying to get signed. That never worked out. But in that also in that period, I actually went and played steel guitar for Kathy Matea for about I actually played about eight months with her. Then I got I got my publishing deal and got off the road and you know, really put my efforts into the solo project. And then uh about two years after that she had a keyboard player leave and then she'd hired another keyboard player and about a month into it the guy came and told her one day, Oh, by the way, I also auditioned Patricia Yearwood and I'm gonna go play with her now. So <laughs> Kathy calls me, so I went out and played keyboards for Kathy for about two almost two years and continue to work in studio and all that as well. And then about two years after that, we had, Jamie and I had our, we got married in 95. We started our family, our first son was born in 98. Jamie was working in the music industry with, um, she was working at Fitzgerald Hartley and they managed like Vince Gill and Patty Loveless and of course they had a Toto and people like that in the LA office. But when she came home to have the baby, when it came time for her to go back after maternity leave, that first day back to work when I took a picture with her at the baby and then I took the camera and put it down. I said, here, give me the baby and she starts crying <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't want to go back to work and so at that point, about within maybe a week after that, I got word that the bass player was leaving the Oak Ridge Boys so I called up Dwayne, who is my father-in-law, and mm-hmm. I said, hey, Dwayne, I'd like to put my name in the hat for that job because I knew it was a nice job. It had a, It was a good steady income with insurance and Christmas bonus so I thought, I think we could survive on that. So I called him and <laughs> called Joe and Richard. I called, you know, make sure everybody, I got everybody's blessing because I really, you know, obviously working for family, you know, and all that. I certainly didn't want to, you know, and everybody was open arms. Right. So I went and played bass for the Oaks for about four years. And, of course, in that, and then we had our second son. And, you know, in that same period of time, um, I lost my father, too around that time and it, you know if you know have if you've lost your parent anybody's lost a parent i think we all do this you go through that sort of reflective you know you look at your life kind of kind of assess things
2: i guess yeah you do. and at that
3: point i went man i i better be home with my boys i i can't be gone 200 days a year so I told uh, Dwayne, realize nothing You personal. realize
2: how precious, how precious each minute is, you know.
3: Oh, really? At, exactly. You know, and Jamie came to me about two years after I worked for her dad and them. She said, you know something I've learned? I said, what? That it's a whole lot different being the wife of somebody on the road versus being the daughter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. And oh.
3: so I ended up leaving the Oaks in 2002, and Jamie took a corporate job. And I started running my studio. And I, I, in that period of time, what's neat is I did this, this work with music called kind of like library work. I ended up getting some pieces of music in like some pretty big mi- um, uh, movies like Kicking and Screaming by, with Will Ferrell, the movie Rango. Some stu- and and uh, that's kind of what I did in that period of time and helped raise, you know, Mr. Mom. I got to ra- help raise my boys. And then, then we decided we want to try to have a little girl. So we had her in 2005. And then we thought we were done. So when she was 9 months old, Jamie goes, "Hey, I need to show you something." And I go down the hallway at our house and she comes out of our bathroom with the pregnancy test and it says, "Yes."
1: <laughs> For <laughs> sure.
2: She looks at me and she goes, "What are we going to do?" <laughs> well, you hopefully you learn the next time she wants to show you something. <laughs> yeah, I'll <was, laughs> <better> be ready. <laughs> you better. And so
3: and uh, we had our our girls were 18 months apart. Well, then uh, I guess uh, Talent was born in 2007. So the funny part is, you know, our, our family, the, our band name was born out of the a visit to the Grand Ole Opry one night. And I was playing with Steve Warner on, on bass back in the mid-2000s. He didn't play very much on the road. And anytime he did an Opry spot, I'd always go out and play for him. We were friends. So one night I was out there, and everybody wanted to see the new baby at the Opry because Jamie's mom, has, she's January will mark 40 years that Jamie's mom's been singing back, backup vocals at the Grand Ole Opry. Oh, wow. And so... Um, Everybody wanted to see that baby, so we took her out there with us, and Jamie was out there, Vince was on that night, and he walked up to Jamie and said, "What are you up to, girl?" And she said, "Well, this is baby number four, Vince." And he said, "You guys are a regular Martin Family Circus." <laughs> and
1: <laughs> the bail went it off stuck.
3: Oh yeah, and, and it's, I mean, it stuck, you know yeah. and everybody just kind of always would say that as a joke. And then about two years after that, well you know, maybe a year after that, I guess, one, one day, out of the clear blue. I get a call from Marty Stewart, and Marty said, "Hey, what are you doing this weekend, Paul?" And I said, "I don't know. What are you doing?" <laughs> and He said, "Hey, do not you come out and play some bass fiddle for me?" And so I said, "Okay, I, I'll do that." I'd heard his bass player had left the Superlatives, and mm-hmm. but I didn't think he'd be calling me, and so I got the, the CD of songs, and I, you know, crammed and you know just like a test or something, you know. <laughs> And I got on the bus on Friday night with him and Kenny and and Harry, and we went to Mississippi, played a show down there, and I knew they must have enjoyed it, because we we did two shows that day, and after the first show, when we were walking off stage, Kenny was looking at me just grinning from ear to ear, and he he just seemed (laughs) to really enjoy it, and Harry was, we just really had a great time. So then Marty goes, well, what are you doing next weekend, Paul? And I said, well, what are you doing? He goes, come do the Opry with us. (laughs) Just went from there. And so... We go, we go to the opera the next weekend, and while we're on stage that night, Marty goes to introduce the guys in the band, and as you know, he, he gave everybody little nicknames. So he mm-hmm. said, say hello to Cousin Kenny Vaughn over here on the guitar, and everybody applauds. And, and over here on the drums, handsome Harry Stinson, and mm-hmm. cr- crowd, you know, crowd applause, and then he looks up at me and said, and y'all give a big welcome to Apostle Paul Martin like that, <laughs> and it stuck.
1: <laughs> Somebody say howdy. Hey, y'all hold, y'all hold your thoughts. The producer, Steve, the good Dr. Steve Thompson has thrown the red, red flag up. <laughs> We've got to stop and He's pay some bills. Some pay We're going to uh, hear a word from our fine sponsors right now. We're going to take you out with uh, Paul Martin when he was with Exile doing a little bit of Keep It in the Middle of the Road. We'll be right back with The Crossing where the music meets and memories right after these quick messages.
5: it in the middle of the road Neither right nor left, right down the center we go Don't let our love fall by the wayside Like a lot of people I know Whatever we do, let's keep it in the middle of the road Honey, let's stay, stay on the straight and down Stick together, it's like bow and arrow. we We're headed in the right direction Don't lose control Don't look, don't look, don't ever look back Cause honey, don't you know we're on the right track We got a combination too good let let go Keep it in the middle of the road Honey, let's keep it in the middle of the road Either right or left, right down the center we go Don't let our love fall by the wayside Like a lot of people. Just
6: keep it in the middle of the road bill martin barbershop is your one-stop barber for all your men's grooming needs stop in for that buell special you'll get a straight razor shave and a haircut topped off with your choice of either witch hazel or vitalis and for all you pickers out there buell will stock some strings and picks for them guitars and banjers that's bill martin barbershop on highway nine in south cole mountain if you see piedmont you done gone too far
7: Looking for affordable propane prices and the best service? No worries. Call Mills Fuel Service today for fast, courteous service that will have your tank filled and ready for the cooler temperatures. Mills Fuel Service is dedicated over 50 years of service to North Georgia, providing clean, efficient propane at affordable prices. Tank rentals are available. Three locations to serve you in Dawsonville, coming and Monica. Call them today, 706-265-3394. Mills Fuel Service for all your LP gas services.
5: Me down, cause that's the side of town I was born in. And I love her, she loves me, but I don't fit her society. Lord, the come down in the bulldog.
2: And we're back, we're here with the Apostle Paul Martin. And um, what you heard just then was uh, down in the boondocks, Billy Joe Royal. I bet he played that song many times out on the road with Quite him. a few times, I assume. We
3: always closed his show with that. And usually, we would play that song, and the minute we were done, we would play That's Alright Mama like a vamp, and he would leave stage.
2: Now, when did you when did you meet your wife, Jamie? Was that during the um, exile years?
3: No. It, well, yes, it was. I'm sorry. I started to say, it, yeah. I had uh, I had met Jamie's mom and dad... We did shows with the Oaks when I was with Exile, and the summer of 1991, we were out in California playing a show with the Oaks. Dwayne came up to me and, and just, you know, said, my son really likes your guitar playing and singing, and at the time, both Jamie and her brother were going to the University of Kentucky, um... So he said, in fact, the night we played with him in California, he said, my whole family's in Lexington, guys, because all the Exile guys were still kind of living there.
1: Well, didn't that turn out convenient for you?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and, and so what was funny is
3: I I actually, I got with uh, Jamie's brother, and we rode a little bit and hung out, and then Exile played a show up in Lexington that fall, like in October, and I had met Jamie just briefly that summer at Fanfare. And while we were, um, you know, and so when when we played the show in, in Lexington in that fall, I told her brother, I said, hey, you know, tell your sister she'd like to go over to the show. I'll pick you guys up. You can just go with me at sound check time. So we did, and then when we got to soundcheck after it was over with, I sat down with Jamie. We just hit it off. And I think we, we pretty much figured that that was, in fact, just last week marked the 28th anniversary of our first date, and we've been married it 24, almost 25 years. And the funny part was, when we started dating, I was 28, she was 19.
2: Easy. And,
3: man, I'm telling you what, <laughs> the first few dates we went on, I finally just asked her point blank, I said, hey, Jamie, I said, you have told your mom and dad you're going out with me, right? And she goes, oh, yeah, no, they really like you. <laughs> <laughs> so, had that, that made me feel better because I'm thinking, Dwayne's going to come kill me, you know?
2: <laughs> so, you knew going in who's her daddy was dwayne yeah i mean
3: you know and and i'll, I'll share another th- this is a really funny story to me i mean i think you all find this interesting L- yes but about that was like late 91 we started dating
2: uh-huh.
3: well in uh, the spring of 92 i knew i was moving down so i just chose i'm gonna move to hendersonville which is where jamie's from and it's a suburb of nashville Where johnny cash lives where all the oaks live it's where a lot mm-hmm. of country music people live marty and connie live here you know lots of folks and uh I liked the, the the area, so I bought. You know, I, I moved here, got an apartment for just a short while, and uh, I had told Jamie's mom one day. She said, "Paul, are you looking to buy a house?" And I said, "Oh yeah." I said, "You know, I've got a recording studio." I said, "I'd like to find a house that has a basement, a garage somewhere I can put my studio." And she goes, "Well, the house that we lived in, and when, when Dwayne and I first got married, we still own it. We rented out. I said, but we had a studio built in the early seventies in the basement, and and uh, she said, but um. You know, we we got it rented out right now. So, well, if you ever decide to sell it, it sounds like it might be a good a good house to buy. So. So, and so maybe two months later or something, I, Jamie and I have been somewhere. I take Jamie to her mom's and dad's house, and her mom comes up. She goes, Paul, you still interested in that house? I said, yeah, you got it for sale? She goes, yeah, we're going we're gonna to sell, I think. Me and Dwayne have talked it over. The rent thing is just such a hassle. The problem, with, I think, with Jamie's mom and dad is that when they'd rent the house out, when people found out who owned it, they would kind of conveniently forget to pay the rent. <laughs> and her mom and dad, are such, they're so sweet. They're wonderful, wonderful people. So her mom just said, well... I'm just going to tell the folks that are there, we're going to get a move on out. We've, we're going to sell the house. So in the meantime, you know, I went and started working on, you know, as we all do, you go to the bank, you start doing your your process of getting a loan. <laughs> and uh, the funny part is, you know, I, I'd already started moving my stuff in over there. I was putting like my studio gear and just putting stuff in there as I, as we were, you know, between road dates. So in October of, of that year, I moved, uh, I moved in on a Thursday night, got everything in there, and then left to go out on the road with exile, got home on Sunday. On Monday morning, the banker calls me. He says, Paul, we've got a little problem. And I said, what's wrong? He said, well, it's not your fault, but the lady in the main branch uh, has messed your loan up. It's fallen through. And I said, well, I've already moved in. What do I do? He said, well, it's not your fault. Come in tomorrow, and we've we'll, we got a, another option. We'll run by you. I've got to get the sellers to go on board, though, so just bear with me, uh, and I'd never told the bank lady, I'm dating the seller's daughter, that had never come up in conversation, <laughs> and then I get off the phone with the bank lady, I call Jamie to tell her what's going on, well, I'd gone to the bank that her mom and dad, you know, bank with, and so, because I was still banking in Kentucky, i just moved here a few months earlier, so, um, the next day, I go into the bank's office, of course, her, you know, she told her mom and dad what was going on, and they were a little upset that the bank kind of messed up my loan, So we're sitting in the bank office and the the bank officer says, let me call the Allens and and talk to them and get their approval and whatever they're going to, you know, see if they're okay with this. She puts the speakerphone on and Jamie's (laughs) dad gets on the phone with her. Well, he kind of starts getting on to her. He's kind of chewing on her a little bit, you know. Uh, I can't believe you're jerking this man around like this and just kind of, you know, this is ridiculous. Why, how could you, And, you know, (laughs) and she's looking at me kind of funny (laughs) because... He's kind of taking it for me, you know, and she's, she's kind of got this puzzled look on her out. face. No, she can't at all. And so in the meantime, they get it. You know, he says, that's fine with us. Let's do it, you know. So she hangs up the phone with, with Dwayne, and then she looks at me and she goes, Paul, in all my years of banking, and especially real estate, I've never seen the seller taking it for the buyer quite like that. <laughs> and I said, well, you need to know something. I'm dating the seller's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> well then she just started laughing
0: and then, a little bit in a matter of like interest. two
3: minutes she said now i've got to call this attorney and and arrange to get a closing date on the books i said okay she puts this attorney on the speakerphone who i've never met in my life don't know him from adam and he starts they start talking and he she's telling him you know the house where the, he said what's the address well he get, she gives him the address of the house and he goes wait a minute is that that Dwayne Orley Allen's house, and and he, she goes, yeah. He goes, oh yeah, that's that house he's selling to his future son-in-law. <laughs> and you know that we hadn't even been dating a year. I hadn't even proposed marriage to Jamie at that point. Oh, but uh, that told me what Dwayne thought of me. That made me feel pretty good. Oh, yeah, exactly.
2: it was either, it was either what he thought of you. He's going to keep his eye on you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: keep you You know that many years passed. You know, I tell you what, I've got the greatest in-laws. They've been they've been they treat me like one of their own. You know. They've been so good to me, and of course our our four kids—they just—they love their grandkids, and um, he's so proud of what we do as a family. I mean, any—if you know the Oaks do 150 shows a year, wow. so that's about 200 years, 200 days a year on the road traveling. But anytime he can be in the front row, we're playing a show, he's going to be there. Trust me.
1: <laughs> you can tell by looking on on just the social media posts and stuff how the what proud parents and grandparents they are I see stuff that Dwayne posts on there all the time and 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 vice oh, yeah. versa same way it, it's a, a mutual love you can see that even through our eyes
2: so when, oh, when, yeah, he,
3: I mean he, uh, he's just he's been so I mean there's so many times like uh, things that I've done as as a just a son-in-law like here a few years ago I had to go play drums with the Oaks uh, about 10 10 11 years ago right after I joined Marty uh, William Lee Golden, you know the, the guy with the long beard his mother yeah. passed away well his son, Chris, was a drummer at the time, so I get, uh, um, we were going to head to, we were playing in, they were playing in Branson, and the Allen family reunion was going to happen, Up the people were coming from Texas, and we are all going anyway, well, then they called me and said, can you play drums for three shows, three days at Branson, so I had to learn the show and play drums, <laughs> <laughs> and when we got done, you know, Dwayne, after we got back, I mean, Dwayne was bragging on me, like, he was, like, proud of me, like, I just, you know scored you know 20 touchdowns in a football game or something he was, you know
1: yeah here i am chris just trying to get my son in law like help move the grass or something and then he's got his <laughs> yeah. playing in band and stuff
2: <laughs> he's out killing coyotes right now
1: hey getting back paul to this uh tell me that kathy matea story where we were talking about earlier and uh that situation i think you played for a pretty uh pretty well-known figure that night
3: yeah, and it was really strange because, you know, I had left Kathy the year earlier from playing Steel, and my buddy, you know Steve Stern probably, he played Steel for Travis Tritt for many years. Yes. And Steve was looking for a gig at the time, and when I knew I was leaving, I, I helped him audition my replacement, and he was the guy who got to replace me. He had an emergency appendectomy the week they got called to go do a TV taping for PBS at the White House. And on Monday, I got a call from Kathy's manager and said, Paul, by chance, could you go to the White House with us? We have to <laughs> take a TV show on Wednesday. And I said, sure. So they got my security clearances. I got on a bus on Tuesday night. We rolled into Washington, D.C. on Wednesday. And we did a sound check. And the show was cool because it had Susie Boggess, Allison Krauss, and Kathy. And then the m c. was none other than Chet Atkins, and of course, you know all of us Chet's one of those guys he's, he's almost like a otherworldly, you know he doesn't seem real <laughs> to those of us who play music.
2: well we Cal and I both watched that video um, from that performance, and I'm sitting there looking and've and read, I've read a couple of books that's you know talked about Chet, and he just commands literally that stage, does he not? Oh yeah.
3: And the, the cool thing for me is that he, I've had guitars he signed, and I've spent some time mm. with him prior to that, but not enough to where I really spent a whole lot, you know, where we we're, were close friends or anything, but he seemed to know who I was. But the best part about that day with Chet, the two things that always stand in my mind was we sat down to eat dinner after sound check and he came and sat down next to me, which you, you don't know for me. I'm sitting there going, ah, ah, Chet is just next <laughs> to me. But the best part was he starts doing Bill Monroe impressions for me. <laughs> 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 and, and and Steve Warner, who was real close with St- Chet, when I told Steve that story one time, Steve said if he did that, he really liked you. Oh. So that just boy, you talk about making you feel twenty feet tall, you know. So you, you were <laughs> more nervous. Heroes?
1: You were more nervous playing with Chet Atkins than you were that the Clintons were in the in the room. Oh sure, because
3: and, and the funny, I'd never gotten to play with him except that time, and I'm playing steel. And the sad the sad part is the song I'm playing on that video was "Teacher Children," which you know jerry garcia played the original but in 1995 there was no such thing as youtube and at the last minute they said we need an encore what are we going to do and somebody said let's do teach teach your children because Susie and and kathleen had done it for a a project for it's called red hot hot and country or something at the time and they did it and so paul do you know the steel part i said well i've heard it but i've I've never played it before (laughs) let me sit here and think about it so i sat there and just try to you know, pull it out of my head because you couldn't go to YouTube on your iPhone then.
2: <laughs> right. And
3: and review. <laughs> and so I played it. And, of course, the minute I play the intro, I look up and Chet looks back at me and smiles. And then he turns back around. And, and funny enough, I'm sitting there at the steel and right in front of him was, you know, the, the President Clinton and his wife and Al Gore and his wife and the all these dignitaries. I'm going... Am I in some kind of dream? Do I have my pants on? You know, that that feeling of like fear, you know, it it was
2: very surreal. So you spent that time, you spent a little bit of time away from Kathy Matea and then you come back. Was the first words that come out of her mouth, Paul, where have you been? <laughs> I see what you did there oh, that was I see what, you did. <laughs> yeah put that up on a team
3: you know and and <laughs> kathy is so funny um she's she she's a good friend and, and I mean oh man she she was when I played with her the first time the the last show I did with her on steel we were out like somewhere in California and the whole crew her and everybody in the band when she introduced me they all got me with pies
1: get <laughs> <Got> them all <laughs> Well, just so happens that uh, the good doctor, producer Steve Thomason, has found that clip, so he's going to put needle to wax, and we're going to take a quick listen to Teach My Children with the great Paul Martin steel guitar <laughs> legend, along with uh, every man's utility player yeah. right there. Along, along with some dude named Chester Atkins. So <laughs> Chester. y'all give this a listen right quick, and we'll be right back.
5: they the one you'll know by Don't you
4: ever ask them why If they told you you would cry So just look at them and sigh
6: Is your one-stop shop for all your egg needs? We got Grade A large, Grade B large, and can't be too large, Kenny. Now, all right, now that's Coal Mountain Egg Farms. So y'all stop in, pick you up a flat or two. Coal Mountain Egg Farm in the heart of Coal Mountain, right next to the ball field. Transforming the way you listen to sports. Yep.
7: We've covered all of it, at least since 1978, 79, 80, 81, 82. Okay, you get the point. We've got it covered. The North Georgia Sports Link. Go ahead. Like us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Keyword search, North Georgia Sports Link. Sun's out, plows out,
6: folks. Time to get your gardens planted. When you need your planting supplies, T. R. Thomas Mill in Coal Mountain is the place you need to go. Come in and get your seeds for your corn, peas, turnips, and beans. We got half runners and full runners. Don't forget, you gotta have some dewander for fertilizer. T. R. Thomas Mill. Hey, we're in Coal Mountain, Spot Road, USA, across from Jan's Jeans. Don't
5: you ever ask them why, if they told you, you would cry.
1: So just look at them and sigh, and know they love you. So that was uh, Teacher Children with Paul Martin. The Apostle Paul, we still call him, Chris. I can't help it. That's just yeah, what I've always that's, known that's as for some reason. But... Uh, Helping Chet Atkins and Susie Boggus and Kathy Matea out on that song, but let's get to the real uh,
2: meat of the story that me and you like to hear about is the uh, the Marty days. Yeah, how'd you get introduced to Marty Stewart? I mean, sounds to me like you're just in a cesspool of musicians <laughs> at all times. <laughs> just, it's it's <laughs> unbelievable. Um, I mean, how? Do, I mean. It just makes sense, I guess, that, you know, old Marty would just call you up and say, what are you doing? Timing.
3: <laughs> it, it, you know, the funny part about Marty was that back in the Exile days, when Marty was first, you know, when, like, Hillbilly Rock and all that stuff was taking off, we did some shows with Marty, and what's funny is that his band then, uh, he had Ray Flack on guitar, and he had Larry Mars on, on bass, And, you know, Larry and I became friends back when when I was with Billy Joel Royal, I met Larry when I was playing keys for Billy Joel Royal And and Larry was playing bass for T. Graham Brown in his early, you know, early days. And then all of a sudden, Larry had, had joined Marty's band. And I just, we just all, Marty and I just struck a friendship back then. It was just something. We just all connected. And you know that in 1994, after I left Kathy to try to work on my solo project, I actually went out and played guitar for Marty for about 14 shows. His guitar player had left. He got another guitar player who came in and apparently had like a, maybe a, a, got a got signed to a record deal or something. So he left. And Larry, uh, Marty had called uh, the, the, the other guitar player, Brad, who had been with him several years and asked if he'd come back. And Brad said, yeah, I can, but I can't do all the shows this year. So Marty called me and said, hey, can you fill in some shows for me on guitar? So I, <laughs> so I went and played guitar for Marty even in 94. And, you know, him and Connie are just like family. I know Jamie's mom and Connie are very, very close. And um, when, like I said, when Marty called me in 2008, it was just, it, I, it, I wasn't expecting it for sure, but the minute I got in the band, you know, like, like I said, we did that, once I went that, did the Opry spot with Marty in 2008, he just said, why don't you join the band?
1: <laughs> why you're not on this documentary, Hired Guns, I will never know, because you seems like every everybody we throw out, yeah, I played with them, <laughs> went out with two, three days here, two, three days there. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, did Marty give you? I know you, you love country music, obviously, and you had a probably knew a great deal of history about it. But did he, he he throw you into deeper waters with the country music history and stuff? How much did you really learn from him about country music?
3: You know, it's funny. We, the, the funny part about Marty is Marty was real good. Like each one of the guys in the superlatives, like like Kenny was real deep, he was very uh versed in like the uh, blues and stuff. And, you know, I, I, I'm one of those guys that, I think that's why we all click so well because we all studied music history. You know, we we're all, I mean, I love The Beatles, I love Beach Boys, I love all that stuff, but I love the classic country and stuff too. And uh, we all kind of learn from each other, believe it or not. You know, uh, what I love about Marty was his, his years with Lester Flat when he was a kid, he, he learned a lot about the bluegrass world, he knew that history. And of course, he you know he's married to Johnny Cash. He's one of her, one of Johnny's daughters for a while, and um, he was around so many people, and, and he saw some things firsthand. And then, you know, but we all we'd all tell stories that we'd heard, and and you know, like I said, there's stories we can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure Ken Burns should, he would he could have a whole other series, but it'd be like it would destroy lives probably.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, go on the dark web for that. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, go the dark web. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because i mean the and you know the funny part and i guess to this day maybe some of the newer artists are that way but you know the old country artists like the cashes and the porter wagner's and people like that they were characters they were just flat out characters you know and there were you know willie nelson willie willie's one of those guys when he did like doing marty's tv show what was so much fun was we got to play for a lot of our heroes and getting to know him a little bit better and stuff. But but Willie came on the first day. He walks on the set. He's just, he's really funny guy. And he said, his joke was, uh, guy went to the doctor that day and he, Doctor tells him he's got good news and bad news, and he asks the, the patient what he wants to hear. And the patient says, oh, "I guess I want to hear the good news." He said, "Well, they're going to name a fatal disease after you." you know? <laughs> <laughs> but hearing Willie Nelson tell it is so funny, you know.
1: This uh, dry humor and timing is impeccable. That's oh,
3: he—you sure. know—he really was. It was so neat. Charlie Pride, some of the people like that. When you just sit around and talk to them. And just get them kind of where they're in there, where they're just really relaxed, and they start telling you stuff. There's some, there's some real. I mean, they're just characters. They're you funny were on guys.
1: how many seasons were y'all on?
3: We did six seasons of Marty's show. There was like 156 episodes, I guess.
1: Was it as fun as it looked? Because I've never seen anybody smile it as was, much. It as was you. hard
3: work, but it was really a lot of fun. You, you know? were always smiling and on that show. Yeah, we well, we did. We try to, we you know for the most part every artist that was on that marty had he tried to really make each show special and try to really love on the older artists because you know they, they get kind of left out in the cold a little exactly bit they get exactly their, and and he really didn't he really wanted to champion them and uh, there are a couple episodes i'll tell you the one episode that always will stick out to me we had um uh, charlie louvin on and it was just about a month before he died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember and he that. He came in. Well, and the way we would shoot the shows, we'd shoot a morning show, and then we'd break for lunch, and then we'd come back, and you know, we'd rehearse the second show, like run the songs, and kind of a, we'd kind of mock, you know, run it down, and so they could make camera calls and just stuff like that, and uh, and rehearse with the artist that was on. Well, while we were rehearsing that day with Charlie in the afternoon, um, he was standing there at Marty's mic, the mic stands that Marty uses. Um, they don't really You know Most mic stands Will tighten You know To put move them down And the ones that Marty had That we used Were kind of friction based So if you put too much weight on them They're gonna go down mm-hmm. And so Charlie was kind of Leaning on his mic stand While we were running his song And all of a sudden He lost his balance And fell <laughs> And he almost hit his head On one of our monitor cabinets On the floor And I think it hurt his pride More than it probably Hurt him physically But At that moment we, It was that thing Where everybody just went Held their breath and Marty said, hey, I got an idea. Let's just shoot this out of sequence and let's just do Charlie's songs without an audience. So that's what we did. And then we taped the rest of the show with, you know, Charlie sitting on the hay bales and all that. And um, it was a very emotional show. I mean, for you know, and when we were done that day, we wrapped it up. And when I got home, I told Jamie, I was emotionally just tired because you were trying to smile through it, and you know, man, this guy's not in good health. And I mean, it was just like three weeks later, or something we, we were actually flying to England to play, and we were at the airport when we got the word, you know, that that Charlie had passed. And it was like, oh, we're so thankful we got him, but it was that was that was a hard day, you know. That's an
1: amazing story right there. Behind the scenes, Chris, stuff you're not going to find anywhere. Well, I written it down. I, I got to go back
2: and I got to watch that episode again. Yeah,
1: with the Charlie <laughs> leaving episode. Yeah. So, Chris and I, Paul, Chris and I play in a band, and we've got this like, uh, we're doing 60s, 70s, and a little bit of 80s classic country. It's all we're doing now.
3: Yeah.
1: And we, and we, so much of our show is based on the Marty Stewart stuff we hear. That's a cool song. They did it great. Let's try, let's try to do that one. So, Mm -hmm. the uh, one that we do, and we're going to go to break with this one, a little clip of it, is the old, uh, one Dime at a Time, where you sing lead on.
3: Oh, Dale Reeves,
1: yes. Del Reeves Classic. And we put that in our <laughs> set, like, man, that is so cool. Did you come up with that, or was that Marty's idea, or how'd that come up?
3: Well, you know, when, when I joined the band, with, when I joined the Superlatives, Marty really wanted everybody in the band to have a song or two to sing in the show. And we actually went in my studio one day, and we cut this one song. Do you remember uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders? Yes, yeah. sir. Yes, sir. Marty came up with the song, he said, Man, I think you just sing this song really good. It was a song called Him or Me. We went and cut it. We got it done, we kinda went, eh, maybe not. So then but one day Marty said, Man, I think you need to do this Del Reese song. He played it for me. I said, Oh I remember that song, so
1: (laughs) It's like two minutes and twenty seconds to just peer in your face. Go get it country we love-
3: oh i just dale reeves is such a good singer and i mean that i mean that's my mom and dad had a country that's the era that i grew up playing with so that stuff it's like being at home you yeah know, that old me, uh- my-
1: Dale Reeves' Country Carnival TV show back in the day. And
3: oh, I watched it all the time. Yeah, yeah. he
1: got that cigarette in his hand <laughs> talking the whole time, cigarette smoke going. <laughs> Isn't it funny how things
3: have changed? Oh my god. You exactly. know, today you'd never do that, you know?
1: Folks, we're going to go to the next break. We're going to listen to a little bit of that uh, Apostle Paul Martin with the fabulous superlatives, along with Marty Stewart. Some, I think that's the guy's name. But anyway, a little uh, Dime at a Time by Dale Reeves. You're listening to The Crossing, where the music meets the memories.
5: My whole life saving oh. $2 bill and That's why I'm here tonight I got time to kill And I can tell my story About 20
4: times
5: $2 in the jukebox One dime at a time $2 in the jukebox A dime at a time Play the same old song about the love gone wrong Till closing time Two dollars on a duty If you'll buy the wine And I'll put it in the jukebox One dime at a time
6: Come see us at Pete's Castle in Cole Mountain Get yourself some hoop cheese or a salty fish right out of the barrel. Fill her up with some fresh petrol, regular and ethyl. Lance crackers are a good, cold, knee high. Don't forget to try your luck out on her punch board. New ones every week. Located on Highway 9 in Cold Mountain. That's Peach Castle, where the customer is the king. There's no gas wars incoming. We've got the best prices in town at forty nine nine a gallon at Marler Oil. Two locations to serve you: Marler Oil Number One at Highway nineteen three hundred six on the south side of Marler Oil Number Two, Highway nineteen and one forty one.
5: How I hope and pray that our love will keep on growing stronger. Maybe I'm suspicious, cause true love is so hard to find. Suspicion torments my heart Suspicion keeps us apart Suspicion, why don't you meet
2: All the martin boys hey. and that was the apostle paul martin and superlatives accompanied by uh marty stewart <laughs> uh what was that song that's an old elvis song
1: called suspicion mm. and it had that, that cool vibe i don't know if it was in a movie or what uh paul may know but the cool I, thing I was think, i think it was just
3: a song he cut in there was it yeah and and yeah. you know what's There was a guy named Terry Stafford that had a bigger hit on it, I think, than Elvis, but we loved the Elvis version better.
1: Oh, it was so cool. And the coolest thing, Chris, watching the video, Paul's two sons are playing on that. You want to talk a little bit about that, Paul?
3: You know, the funny part about, I think, probably what leads to where I'm at at this point in my life is kind of Marty Stewart's fault.
1: Blame it on Marty. <laughs> yeah, so
3: that's a good title, isn't it? Blame it on as you, Marty. As you yeah. do, yeah. as you do. Yeah, yeah. But like uh, when I joined Marty in 2008, you know, my oldest son had just turned 10. He was almost 10 actually. And my other son was like six or seven. And and when they started seeing dad play with Marty, I think the bug really bit them too. And then as we did that TV show, you know, they just they just love music like we did. And And, you know, what's funny was that in 2009, I'd been with Marty just a few months, really. The boys did this little talent show at their school. They were still going to public school. And they did Eight Days a Week by the Beatles, and March played acoustic, and they sang the harmony. Well, I played it for Marty. He goes, hey, they need to do that the Late Night Jam at the Ryman this summer. So he brought them out there in 2009. The video, you can find that video on YouTube. Yeah, um, I saw The that Martin well. Brothers. Yep. So, and uh, instead of the Beatles song, they wanted to do a Staples song. <laughs> They'd heard us do, you know. Oh, wow. And so... Uh, then he had them on the TV show, and then after that, Marty had the boys on there several episodes playing. And what was funny when we do the TV tapings, we'd always come back to my studio to you know fix any problems, and and you know Mick the engineer would mix, and he, he and I Marty would when we sit and listen back to playback. And and Mick would you know solo up the boys' parts on the on the recording because it was multi of course, and we'd all sit there and just giggle because they were playing like grown men. They just had this pocket and this feel that most you know that you can't teach that. It's just they just seem to have this natural gift. And so we started. Uh, you know, Jamie left her corporate job in two thousand ten. And we just kind of, for fun, started singing little shows here and there with the kids. And we just worked up a bunch of songs one day in the summer of 2010, like anything that was challenging, that, you know, Beach Boy songs or Chicago, things like that. And we went over to her mom's and dad's one Sunday afternoon after church. We were home, and uh, Jamie said, hey, mom, dad, can, you all got a minute? We want to show you something. So we, I get my acoustic, and me and her and the kids go over to their house and walk into the living room and say, sit down. And I pull my guitar out, and we just sang about seven or eight of these tunes, they had worked up, and the look on their faces was just priceless. They would just had the most permigrants, you know, like they were, and they couldn't believe it, so we started playing little shows for fun, and and then, like, in 2014, uh, I had done this little solo project with Marty. He had everybody in the band. He really championed everybody to do a solo project, so we had, uh, my project was done. It's called Kentucky Jukebox, and Marty said, hey, Paul, go, why don't you book something in your hometown, And we'll just go play, we'll be your band, we'll go play it. And so I said, you know what, that's a long way to go, and and let me just get the kids, let them just play for me, and we'll just do it that way. So that was, we went up to my hometown, and the kid, you know, Texas, my daughter, she's 14 now, but this is, you know, six years ago, five or six years ago. So she was like nine, I guess, at the time, and they learned one dime at a time. All those songs that we were playing, and, We went and did this little record release thing in my hometown this little museum and had a nice turnout, and we videotaped it. And when I got home and sat and watched it, I looked at Jamie and said, man, these kids are getting really, really good. And I looked at her and said, you know, I, I had this sense that we probably need to do something with these kids. And... We really t- talked about it. We actually had uh, lunch one day with our pastor, and, you know, our, what you know, we we flipped by him. He goes, well, the way I see it, guys, he said, your window of opportunity is probably closing pretty quick here, so you might look back in 10 years and regret not doing it. So we talked with Jamie's mom and dad, and, you know, they, they, they seemed to give us the a bill of approval, and then, then I told Marty at Christmas, I said, Marty, I'm not mad. I just... I just want to go do this with my family. I just feel like I'm supposed to do this. And he goes, man, I hate to see you leave. I get it, you know. So um, we started, like, we. I played my last show with Marty in March of 2015, and I got back from that trip and got off the bus and said my goodbyes and hugged everybody's necks and walked home. Got drove home and walked in the house, and I looked at Jamie, and I said, well, here we go. I'm officially <laughs> unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> and... You know it's 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 uh but when we started doing shows and then over the last four years with the kids i mean we played the white house we played the Ole opry the library of congress we've done the you know um play with the oaks on some fairs and big fairs and open for other artists and it's just been it's been so much fun and a lot of hard work too and we've been you know the kids are starting to write now and we've got we got some new material getting ready to release and um and I'm just, you know, my job right now is uh, I'm just trying to fade back and be the support and be the, you know, play the parts I need to play for my kids, sing the parts I need to sing. And, of course, when we play shows to this day, we still do, like, Exile songs in our shows, uh, Keep It Middle Road, we do Super Love. We do, is you um, all over? <laughs> you know Come what? On. We did that one time and it was when the kids were young. <laughs> and when we got done, I realized that eh, maybe, maybe that wasn't appropriate. I just <laughs> forgot about it. <laughs>
2: I am I'm just surprised you didn't talk uh Marty and the superlives to ever cover it. Just oh, kidding. You know, totally it, kidding.
3: it's one we didn't. They it are been our,
1: awesome. Those I would have loved that. Those children of yours, they're some phenomenal musicians. And it's like uh, I heard uh Marty and uh Chris Scruggs on a podcast late last week and they were talking about you guys and he said, You know, we when you were gonna get the call one day that he's not going to be with us anymore. And we did. He said, he told me, he said, Marty, it's time. And then we're like, yeah, we know it's time. Go do your thing. <laughs> it's like a one of our uh, ex-pastors of mine and Chris said, don't be glad, don't be saying you wish you had, say, be glad you did. So I think you did a good job with it. That's that. right.
2: That is right.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's just, it's been so fascinating with the kids. Like I always tell them, guys, you're doing things that your dad didn't do till I was much older, you know? Yeah. And Y'all are and like the modern
1: day Hendersonville Partridge family.
3: It, well, you know, it, it definitely <laughs> is that. And then, what's funny is because when you see us live, we cover so many genres. I mean, we're marketing ourselves as country act. I mean, our new stuff has you know, I play banjo on the new record on the on the new t- cuts, and it's real. It's real. You know, it's kind of modern country, but it still has. A, it's going to have some throwback. I played steel on it. There, those parts, those elements of that, but. um the kids, you know, our kids are like all the kids today that are listening to music. Even the modern country artists, I try to give them the break. I said, you know, they all grew up at a different time than I did. In their, in, in their world, they've had, like, hip-hop and stuff that, they, that I know it shows up because it's what they've heard. If they've, you know, been to any sporting event or anything like that. So I know that's why country probably has some of those meanderings. But, um, but you know, my kids are plugged into all kinds of things from classic country to classic gospel you know, we do, in our show, like I said, we do Elvira because when the Oak Ridge Boys went to Country Music Hall of Fame four years ago, yes, our family sang it for them. Yes,
1: tell us the story because it had a lot of uh, uh, twists and plots to it, if you got, if you got a second to tell it. Oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> we get the call from uh, from the folks at the Hall of Fame, and we think, us, oh, really? And they said, yes, it'll be so special. So we learn, our, well, I come up with an arrangement that we'll do. And I record a little track so I can send it to the to the band that's going to be there, you know. And um, well, the week of the show, Texas comes down with laryngitis; she totally loses her voice. She she has to write on legal pads. And then, but we get through it. And we teach her her part. We say, "Here will be your part." And so, the day of the of the of the event on Sunday, we go down there for sound check at noon. Well, the first thing that happens: Jamie and get her and the girls get caught in traffic. Me and the boys go ahead of them to take like my guitar rig and just get on into the Hall of Fame. And we'd, we'd get our, they get there in time. We'd get to run it one, one time with the band. And Texas just kind of squeaks through it, but she gets okay. And, well, then they, had, they got us a hotel room downtown so we could go, you know, get ready. And we had a makeup person coming in all that to help the girls. And we stopped. We ordered lunch from room service. And then Kale, the, you know, my youngest son, he's, well, he's 18 now, but this is, you know, four years ago. So he, he gets food poisoning. <laughs>
2: oh, my gosh.
3: And and so for the rest of the day, the poor kid can't get out of the bathroom. And <laughs> so we go we go over to the Hall of Fame for the event, and we're sitting in the back. And what's funny, we thought it was supposed to be a surprise, but they actually printed it up in the the program that night. So all these people are coming up to us going, we can't wait to hear you guys sing it. And we find out it's in the program, and we were trying to it's surprise Blaine. supposed to be Gwaine. a secret, yeah. So Jamie immediately texts her mom and said, Mom, grab the program. It's a- <laughs> Don't let Dad see it, you know. So they did. By the time he got set down in his seat, the show starts, and so he never got to touch it and see it. So all through the whole show, every time we had to stand up for an ovation, Kale was like, "Oh no, (laughs) I'll
1: sit for this ovation." uh,
3: and, And Texas was like, "Take she." I think she had a whole two bags of like Ricolas, you know. Well, then they come and get us and take us backstage. And you know our opening act that night, the, the act on just before we did Elvira was Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood. <laughs> oh my God! So, like to you, had to
1: you know what Grandpa John said about that? He said following uh, Garth Brooks is like trying to follow a bulldozer with a uh, spoon. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And oh, but but it's so funny because I mean here we are, ever you know, here's one sick and and you know so, so Jamie just pulls, pulls the kids in. And she said, guys, she said, you know God teaches us that you know, we just have the need to have the faith of a mustard seed, and she looked and said, Texas, honey, you just go out there and sing. Your voice will be there. It'll be there. I promise you. It'll be there when you go to sing your lines, and she goes, Kale, honey, you can hold anything in for three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but we got out there and did it. It was, but I mean, it's so funny how that that's, you know, the, the things people don't realize when you're performing sometimes uh, that you go through. I mean, it um, ain't going to be perfect. You no, know, and, and it's like, and I've always told my kids, what makes a great entertainer? You're never going to have the perfect show or the perfect performance. How you deal with adversity is what makes you a great entertainer. You know, and I'm telling you, the, one of the worst things I ever had to experience in my life in 30-plus years being on the road, in 1989, right after I joined Exile, my mom died of breast cancer at 50 years old. And she died, like, on a Monday. We got back from Exile play, like, in Texas. I got back on a Sunday. And I guess my mom must have waited for me to get home, you know, because I went to the hospital mm-hmm. that night. And my dad came and said, they, they don't think she's going to, you know, this she's not, you know, this is, this is it, you know. And so she died like that early that Monday morning. And um, on Wednesday, we had the funeral. Well, the exile guys go, Paul, whatever, if you want to cancel shows, we understand, you know, whatever. And so I said, well, I looked at the schedule. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, the Hot Springs, Arkansas date on, on Saturday, see if they'll reschedule. The Friday show is about an hour up the road in kentucky i said let's just go and do that when i said i gotta i gotta i gotta do this eventually you know i can't just run from it so we did a show on friday two days after my mom was buried and i and i went and did it but i'll tell you that was probably the hardest show i, I can ever remember doing you know trying to get up there and smile and be happy you know and entertain and you're going wow this has not been a very good week you know and uh, but you know that's that's the part you know like i say that that, that that of entertainment's always tough but and, and we've always tried to teach our kids, you know, like when we play a show, there are people sitting in our audience that's really had a bad day or a bad week or a bad month. And our job is to bring joy, you Lift know. Lift
2: it up, yes. Well, music, yeah, music, it, as you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's an incredible medicine.
3: Oh, it is. That's what Dwayne, you know, I'm so thankful to have in-laws that are in the business because Dwayne, you talk about uh, such a great source of wisdom, I mean, for music business stuff because he... I've always told the kids, listen to Granddad. I said, he'll tell you what to do and what not to do. And I said, probably what not to do. He may have already tried it, and he's trying to help you not go down that that path. You know,
1: Never let an older gentleman have to tell you something twice is what my grandpa always said. <laughs>
2: <laughs> always. Well, Paul, I, I, um, I, we've we've taken up so much of your time, but I've got two questions I want to okay. be sure and throw at you. Um, the first question, besides an Oak Ridge boy... Who's the most famous person you've got in your cell phone?
3: Well, I I got Vince and Marty and Connie. <laughs>
2: oh wow! Um,
3: uh, I'm, I'm, I'm off the top of my head. I'm trying to think. You know. He's got mine uh, in there. Well, now, now you got a yeah, cow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: now you got a cow. <laughs> Cole Mountain cow. He's yeah, got his you in know.
3: Name. <laughs> and Kathy Mateus. I've got Kathy. I think. I mean, there's so many people like that. Our friends, you know, that I've known for many years. I got tickle. I, I run into Connie pretty regularly here in town. One night I had to go. I was going to like a Kroger here in town one Friday night. We had <laughs> last year, see old dad. See, I'm, I'm a pretty good dad, I guess, but my girls kept begging for a dog. Uh. We had them when we got married and that the last one died. We just, uh, we don't have time. So last year I went to, took my girls to the animal shelter one Saturday morning and we came home. We came home with a, um, with a, uh, with a dog. <laughs> and she was, she's a, she's a Vishla. She's really sweet. She was a service dog, apparently. And she loves. Well, she loves the girls, and she loves Jamie. She loves the boys, but she really seems to favor the girls. And uh, uh-huh. I'm going to get dog food one night because I needed to. And <laughs> as I'm coming into, Wa- into Kroger about 11 o'clock at night, who do I run into? But Connie. And then she <laughs> she called me later. Uh, my cell phone rings. about. She goes, well, I left my cell phone at Kroger because we were talking. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, I just if I, if I work for TMZ,
1: if I work for TMZ, that would be my haunt—the Hendersonville Kroger because it's got to be laden with stars in and out continuously. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, you know, I never saw him, but now Cash used to—I think he was a guy that would frequent the Kroger here in Hendersonville many times. You know, and uh, you know, one of my biggest regrets—I never got to know him, but now he was really a big part of the Oakridge Boys' life. It, you know, if it weren't for the for Johnny Cash, there'd probably be no Oakridge Boys.
1: Yeah, he had him on the show. I had those guys on his tour early back in the
3: day On and the johnny so, cash show. you know it, it's like you know and it, it's so funny because i never got to know him and one sunday this is many years ago right before june died um jamie's mom and dad got a call from june one day and said hey we're having a baby shower for one of the i think it was um, Car- carlene's daughter who was having her first child and they were having a, a baby shower at their house and said she called. Uh, Carlene called Jamie's mom and said, "Hey, Norley, tell tell your your daughter and son-in-law to bring that new that baby. their babies. I want to see them babies. Years those grandbabies. And at the on the day that she called us, we were gone. We were going to be gone, and we missed out going over to Cash's house that day and spending the afternoon with him. And that's one of those regrets. You know, it's like, dang, I'd like to have gotten to know him in June." But um, everybody you know, Marty obviously was real close to to him, and oh, yeah. uh, of course the cat, you know, the Jamie's mom and dad, and and the Oak Ridge boys especially,
2: you know. Well, the, uh, the the second question I've got for you is if you had to put a value on the number of nudie suits you own, what would it be? <laughs> or did y'all well, lease now, those He probably had to turn those <laughs> back in. You those know, actually,
3: actually <laughs> those belong to Marty. Marty paid for all the suits. Really. So whatever, yeah, he, he bought all the
2: suits. Yeah. So when he had to replace you, did you just try to find somebody that fit the suit? Size. <laughs> yeah, when size.
3: Chris, when Chris replaced you. Know, what's funny was Chris was kind of a, he was sort of like a superlative already too because when we did the TV show, you know, uh-huh. Chris come on and play a lot of episodes with us doing the lap steel stuff. So when I told Marty I was leaving <laughs> at Christmas in 2014, Kenny was doing some gig with Chris and he said <laughs> he... Kenny went and told Chris hey man, if you know a bass player, I said Paul's gonna leave do it with his family. Chris goes, well, let me do it. So I went and took my couple of suits up there, and and Chris came in and they, and they fit. So-
2: <laughs> well, I tell you what, the suit fits. You yeah, know. Suit yeah. Fit.
1: we'll figure the rest out later. Cousin Kenny can't quit because there's nobody, you couldn't yeah, offer his stuff nobody. to make anybody yeah. fit that. No. Yeah. No. no, he's too tall. It's like a 29-34. His job is very secure. Yeah. Very yeah. secure. Yeah. Well, tell us about Rockland Road, uh, what y'all got going on now, and where, where folks can find you on the web and all that good stuff as well, we wrap up. Well, we're,
2: we're,
3: our Facebook page, Rockland Road, is, is on, you know, and we, you know, it's funny, we, we changed our name from Martin Family Circus to Rockland Road early 2018, and, um, the funny part is, is that we had to. Martin Family Circus, when we were doing these fairs and stuff, I'm not kidding you. Every time we pull up to a fair and we pull the bus up and they go, can I help you? They go, yeah, we're, we're Martin Family Circus. They go, okay, well, now back up. And now the animal tents are back over there. <laughs> <laughs> they thought we were a circus. and we, you know, It really confused them. So we, we, we realized we got to come up with a name. And now the name Rockland Road has significance too. The uh, Jamie's mom and dad in the early seventies built the studio in the house that we—the house that we still live in—is the house that Jamie grew up, in. that's where we raised our four kids. And uh, but there was—they built a studio in the basement in the early seventies. Well, they got so much—they started getting complaints from neighbors, neighbors because all these buses coming up down the street. And uh, so they bought this old tile factory here in Hendersonville on Rockland Road, and they started a studio and a publishing company. And then when the Oaks really went. Gangbusters, with the, you know, in the Elvira years, that was the uh, Oak Ridge Boys' headquarters. And it was there till not, in 1998. They sold it to Ricky Skaggs, and he still has it. It's still there. It's where oh, Skaggs' record is to this day. And that's, so that's, uh, awesome. that's where the, our name came from. But um, this past year, we started recording, and, and like I said, we took our time and tried to find great songs. Because, you know, Jamie's dad, I'm telling you, it's he talks about that magic three minutes. It's all about the song, so we've really tried to really search out and then one of the songs we cut on our project, Texas and March co-wrote because we had uh, three songs that March sang on and then we, but Texas, our 14-year-old, I don't know if you've seen us live or if you've seen videos but Texas at 14-year-old, she puts, by the way, her name, that's my mom's name. My mom was Texas who died of breast cancer many years Jamie didn't even get to know my mom. My mom was a singer too but mom was from Kentucky but she was named Texas. Go figure. <laughs> As, as, as Kentucky, he do as well. It's that I hillbilly think. thing going on. Yeah, yeah, you. yeah. And uh, so uh, we named, you know, she's named after my mom. But then my second daughter, Talent, her middle name's Anderson, which was my mom's maiden name. So both my girls are named after my mama. And uh, anyway, but Texas just she has this un for her age. I mean, that sound like a, a, a father, just but she's really, really got this very unusual gift as a singer. And. Uh, that the the guy that helped produce Greg Beak, a friend of ours, I had worked on his wife's project, and we did one of his songs on our last little CD project we did about three years ago. So when I said te- I, I texted him and said, "Greg, send me some more great songs," he said, "Man, I'd love to help if you need my help." And I went, "This would be great because I love the idea of not trying to be the producer, being a father and all that stuff. It's 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 a real unique situation, and I don't want to be one of those stage dads. I don't be one of those like you know." I've always tried to teach the kids, you all seem to have a gift, but if you don't want to put the work into it, it's just going to be like a knife. It's going to be dull if you don't want to sharpen it. And they all seem to grasp that. So Greg's worked with like, he, he, he works with like Daryl Hall and people like that. He's programmed for them. He had a big number one hit by Little Big Town called Bring It On Home. Um, just a great, great talented guy. And uh, so he helped produce the project, but he kept going, Paul, we need a song for Texas to sing. So uh, Greg Barnhill, And then he had this, like, little coursey thing written. So March and Texas went down one day, and they finished it. And so they got three songs out with March and then one with Texas. And we're all, we're just really excited about the songs. We're just, you know, can't wait to get them out there for people to hear them, for sure. And this is, you know, and like I said, this has been a crazy year for me personally because I had to go get guardianship of an aunt of mine up in Kentucky that has Alzheimer's. And um, she had no children. So Jamie and I have been driving from Nashville to Lexington almost every week since March, which is about a 500-mile round trip. Wow. So we have we've been on the road, but not musically. We've been doing the love thing, you know, taking care of somebody we love, and it's it's been very challenging, very tough. But you know, on the pri- on the on the bright side, our kids get to see. Sometimes you got to sacrifice. Sometimes and and you do that for love, you know. That's so. It's not all bad, you know. That's
1: exactly right. I mean, and they see you're putting family first, which is a great yeah. uh, value to instill to them. So yeah, and man, be- we just wish y'all all the continued success. From here on out,
3: yeah, we really hope to make some make some noise next year with our new songs.
1: Well, we're going to make noise for you. We're going to promote it as <laughs> as best as we can. Heck yeah! We could tell you how much we've enjoyed this and how much we thank you for being with us, but it wouldn't it wouldn't come close to the true feelings. I mean, we've really enjoyed it. We've been trying to figure out schedules and stuff, try to get you on here for a long time, and I'm just so glad it worked well, out. I'm, I'm, I, this and, is oh, fun because yeah, uh,
3: you guys. Uh, yes, yeah, I'm saying. You feel like old friends. I mean, it's yeah. like I'm having a conversation with with the old friends and stuff, and that's the way it should be.
1: And we want to come to Hendersonville, so, I mean, if you, we'll buy, we'll <laughs> yeah. buy, we'll at buy, we'll buy breakfast at Cracker Barrel if you'll, if you'll t- take, take us around and <laughs> no, kind you, show place us some you, folks. If you
3: come to Hendersonville, there's a place called the Red Rooster, and uh, it's a cool place. And our friends just bought it about a year ago, but it's really a good Mom and Pop place, but Taylor Swift, Dad, you can usually run into him almost every morning there eating breakfast. So, and there's all kinds of people like that that show up there. So. Yeah,
1: wow. we need you to we need you to
2: tote
3: us around town a little while and show us the breakfast. We'll yeah, buy, we generally we'll come breakfast. to town
2: for the uh, late night jam. Um, we try to get in there for that.
3: Yeah, that's a, and that you know that's always a lot of fun too. It's like uh, that whole week, you know, um, CMA Fest week is just crazy around here.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not. Me and Chris are not up for an award tonight, and I don't no, guess you are. So no. I guess we can watch it on the DVR when we all get home and get through this. But once again, thank you so much, Paul. We have really enjoyed it. And me too, folks. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Rockland Road. Get out there and see them. If you can't figure out where they're at, how to get a hold of them, call me or Chris. We'll get we'll get you in touch with them. <laughs> and y'all are welcome to come to Georgia anytime. We'll oh, we'll put you up do. and come. Come We'd worship like with us, Georgia. we'll sing, y'all can sing at our church, we'll do anything. So we'll, we'll have a <laughs> we, big old time. You know, it's funny,
3: we, we play church, we've done some churches, we just actually, we played a fair with Terry Clark back in August up in Michigan, and we, we actually played a church outside Detroit on Sunday on our way back home. So. Well,
1: that's awesome, you get down here, you holler at me, and if you're close by, we'll, we'll fix you up. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, be, in there. we'll keep our ear to the ground. That's right. Folks, you've listened to one stellar of an episode here with The Crossing, <laughs> where the music <laughs> makes some memories, the once again with... Me, myself, Cole Mountain Cal, my partner Chris, Cheeto Cheatham, the good doctor, producer Steve Thompson in there, turning dials and making smiles, and our buddy, our new friend of the show, the Apostle Paul Martin. We'll catch y'all again on the next episode. Y'all be careful out there. Paul, you tell everybody bye.
3: Bye Bye-bye, everybody. And we hope to see you out there this year.
1: Hey, here's some Rockland Road to take us on to the house. Thank y'all.
4: You said no one ever wrote a song about you. Nobody would know how it would go Well I was out there running round Well you were set on slowing down True love for us was just too hard to find But later not you still train, I'm sure you know now it was for the best, well, I bet if I saw you right now, we'd have a drink and laugh out loud, man it was a magnificent mess, but it's something we just had to do I guess, Caroline yeah we had us a time and I hope you're somewhere in your
0: Crossing, where music meets memories, is recorded at Do South Productions, high atop the Doc Holcomb building in downtown Coal Mountain, and is recorded and mixed by Steve Thomason and hosted by Chris Cheatham and Coal Mountain Cal Heard. Theme music written, performed, and recorded by Wendell Cox. The Crossing is a production of Roadhog Studios and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Do South Productions, or at least a text message from Cal or Chris. That'll do too. All rights reserved. All right, we'll catch you next time on The Crossing.